Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Hello, everyone. I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kai Rizdal. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this Thursday. I believe it is the 7th day of September. Indeed it is. And so by now, you know that Thursdays we have started this thing where we're listening back to audio from some of the big stories of the week. And so we have a few audio clips lined up and we're going to get to what was said in those clips and what was left out. Uh, so let's start with the first one. You know, I'm, ha- I'm happy to join any weed party th- that you want. We'll sit out in the lawn and, uh, and get as deep as, as we need to. My basic view has been... You can't change your target until you've hit your target. I was cracking huh, up when so I that heard was, that interview. <laughs> oh my god, I'm 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 not even sure he realizes what he was saying. Maybe he was saying it in person, <laughs> intentionally, and he was just being sly about it. I mean, he's up enough to know what's going mm. on. That was Austin Goolsby, the president of the Chicago Fed. Uh, today on Marketplace, we uh, we had a long chat about. Um, interest rates, this economy, where he thinks it's going, what the Federal Reserve needs to do. And I had asked him as sort of a kicker to our conversation about, about you know, the Fed deciding when they're going to be done raising interest rates. I said, look, why don't you just change the Fed's target for inflation, which is 2% now, one, which they haven't been able to hit even in good times. They were below 2%, and right. now they are having a really hard time getting back to 2%. And I said, why mm-hmm. don't you just change it to 3 and call it a day? And he said, uh, and the setup for the question is, I said, I don't want to get too weedy on this, but why don't you just change it to three? And he went on with the weedy conversation. Um, And he said, you know, you got to get there before you, you got to get there before you can call it a day. So that was, that was awesome. Goolsby He's a good guy. He's a good guy. I have to say, I respect that this idea. It's like, you know, it, it's easy to change, you know, the goalpost, move the goalpost when you haven't, you know, reached it and move it closer, right. you know, so that's easier to, to hit the goal, but harder, you know, once you've made it to then say, okay, was this really the best goal in the first place? Totally fair. So, totally yeah, fair. I get that. Totally fair. Okay, before we get to this one, I actually want to set it up a little bit because this is a piece of, uh, it's a le- kind of lengthy clip from an interview that I did today with Mary Ann Madeira, who is an assistant professor of international relations at Lehigh University. And I was doing a story about sort of where things stand with the United States and the European Union when it come, Union when it comes to our trade tariffs, especially on aluminum and steel. And when I started reporting out the story, I was looking at just sort of state of play and how Biden is still basically keeping up with the Trump tariffs. But something interesting kind of came out as I was talking to people, which is this idea that even though we still have the same steel and aluminum tariffs, Whereas under the Trump administration, they were sort of tied to volume and the value of the steel and aluminum and trying to sort of um, engage in these protectionist measures for U.S. manufacturers. Now, the Biden administration seems to be trying to shift it to link the quotas to how that steel and aluminum is produced because it's such a carbon intensive um, thing it contributes a lot to global emissions and so they're kind of shifting what the focus is in terms of how they're limiting exports which kind of by default serves to preference the united states and the eu so with all that set up here's the here's the clip of tape The EU and the U.S. have a shared objective of addressing carbon intensity in global steel production. And the EU and the U.S. 
have adopted much more costly carbon reduction technologies that do reduce the carbon intensity of steel produced here and in the EU, but it also raises the cost of our steel and of European steel. So by linking carbon goals with trade rules, they can achieve this double objective Mm. of pressuring other countries to reduce their carbon intensity and at the same time helping our products be more competitive. I think it's so interesting, actually, the idea of of combining climate change and carbon reduction with tariffs, right? And it's sort of the thing that needs to happen, sort of a, a whole of systems approach if we're going to get anywhere. I mean, look, that's a really small example. But when you think about, number one, the carbon intensity of steel, and number two, how much steel there is in global trade, it, it can turn into a big deal. And also the idea that we're still having these freaking tariff and trade wars is just nutty. But that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> Well, and it's and it's funny because remember those were under Section two thirty two those steel mm-hmm. and aluminum tariffs, which were supposed to be about national security. security and people right. gave Trump a lot of grief over you know whether the protectionism mm-hmm. aspect of it was really national security. And so now there's even more questions about if is limiting carbon emissions really. Mm-hmm. Um, enough justification to fit within that national security framework. Right. So I imagine this is right. not the, the end of this one. All right. No, so um, now we have another piece of tape. Let's go. He's playing Russian roulette with the very lives of our service members by denying them the opportunity to actually have the most experienced combat leaders in those positions to lead them in times of peace and in times of combat. So that was a guy by the name of Carlos del Toro. He's the Secretary of the Navy. That was on CNN, uh, talking about my favorite senator, the senior senator from Alabama, Senator Tuberville. I was being uh, ironic there. Uh, And Senator Tuberville's hold on what is now approaching 300 senior military nominations. Um, It's interesting because the Pentagon is kind of going on the offensive, if you will, uh, Secretary del Toro and also... Uh, his counterparts, the Secretary of the Air Force and the Secretary of the Army, had a piece in the Washington Post the other day calling out Senator Tuberville for, for damaging national security. There was a great piece in also the Washington Post, actually, Dan Lamoth, uh, about the acting commandant of the Marine Corps and the really significant strategic changes that the Marine Corps needs to make that the new guy can't do because he's not officially the new guy. Um it's just it's just really pathetic. Also, I, I will I will say and if I can editorialize a little bit. So Tupperville was on. God, I can't be. He was interviewed in the hallways of Congress. It must have been Manu Raju on CNN because Manu's everywhere. And, and he was asked about his hold. And uh, and Tupperville said we, we something along the lines of we need to get woke out of the military. Uh, we have people on aircraft carriers writing poetry. So first of all, Poetry is a longstanding tradition in the United States Navy, but it's also a longstanding tradition in militaries everywhere. I point you no farther Mm -hmm. back than the First World War and in Flanders Fields. You know, in Flanders Fields, the poppies blow, right? I mean, come on. Anyway, that's so unbelievable. I think it's also worth noting how unusual it is for the Department of Defense to so openly challenge a sitting senator in such a sort of cohesive way. No, go ahead. The the other thing, no, I was just gonna say, the other thing that's interesting is now that slowly, very, very slowly, and too slowly, to be honest with you, um, other Republican senators are starting to say, hey, Tommy, it's time to give it up. Lindsey Graham, the latest. Lindsey Graham was like, let's Mm. bring these to the floor. We'll do it and we'll vote on them one by one if we have to. So maybe there will be some progress. Don't know. Uh, Last one 
Before we go. So today I ask my fellow Republicans this. In the days to come, will we be the party of conservatism? Or will we follow the siren song of populism unmoored to conservative principles? The future of this movement and this party belongs to one or the other, not both. Yeah, so this is obviously former vice president and GOP Republican presidential candidate Mike Pence. He was speaking at St. Alzheim College in New Hampshire about the fundamental schism in the Republican Party right now over what the party is going to be. And I haven't really heard anybody as high profile as him throw down the gauntlet in that way. And this is related to sure cultural issues and social issues and things like that and and politics and and how we run the country but also to economic issues because a lot of the Mm -hmm. sort of traditional conservative values have to do with economic issues and you hear very little about economic conservatism these days because they've been fully pushed to the back seat by all of these social and cultural issues that have dom- that are dominating the party at the moment which I know from talking to a lot of people at conservative think tanks is driving them batty mm-hmm. you know they mm-hmm. really wish that Republicans and and conservatives could kind of detach themselves from some of these social and cultural issues and the you know cult of Trump to actually deal with some of these more fundamental conservative um, economic values that are getting harder and harder to talk about because all the oxygen is getting sucked out of the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Like just for instance, when was the last time you heard anybody talk about Paul Ryan, who was for a very long time oh my the apostle <laughs> yeah. of economic conservatism, right? That was his whole mm-hmm. game. And he's just kind of vaporized because there's, as you said, right. there's no oxygen left in the room. Right. And remember that big, ambitious um, speech he gave that time on poverty and the conservative um, approach to uh, addressing poverty. And there was a plan with details for how conservatives could, you know, use conservative economic values to address poverty in the country. And we haven't heard anything like that in years. Not a peep. Not a peep. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see where the party lands, if the polling numbers are any indication in terms of where Pence stands versus where his former boss stands. Uh, I think it's leaning populism at the moment. So, yeah. yeah. All right. That is it for today. Uh, Please, 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 please don't forget to join us tomorrow. It's going to be our 1,000th episode. It's going to be a party. It's going to be fun. Um, We're going to have special cocktails. We're going to have special drinks. We're going to have special games. And it's going to be just a special edition of Economics on Tap. Uh, the YouTube live stream starts at 3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. And uh, if you miss it, you will be sorry. <laughs> there you go. And if you haven't already, signed up for the newsletter, would you, before midnight, and you will be on the list for the surprise free gift, which you may want to have handy for our 1,000th episode celebration. We're just saying, sign up at marketplace.org slash newsletters. Just saying. Today's episode of Make Me Smart was produced by Courtney Bergseeker with assistance from H. Conley. Audio engineering by Charlton Thorpe. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter, and our intern is Milo Farshabandi. 
Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of Digital Around Here. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.